These are stories of women, mothers, and enterprises filled with grit, gumption, and overcoming. Where in the midst of adversity, we see her rise up. She makes a choice. She chooses to emerge. I'm your host, Becca Erickson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of To Emerge. I'm actually joined in studio by Emily Anderson, which is very exciting. She's an LICSW, but also uh, works with us at Emerge Mothers Academy in addition to her other clinical work as a licensed clinical social worker. So this woman is going to bring down the house for us. Uh, Just very brilliant, um, extremely compassionate, and just filled with a lot of wisdom. So Without further ado, Emily, welcome. Wow, that was a quite the See, introduction. Should I just go before you everywhere you go in <laughs> I life? I think so. And just bring int- out the red carpet. I should. I should introduce you. Um, okay, so first off, since I just gave everyone the mouthful of LICSW, will you kind of unpack that and tell us about your work in the Twin Cities? Absolutely. So LICSW, for those that you, um, those of you that don't know, stands for Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker. And essentially um, what that means is I am uh, a social worker that has a clinical emphasis. So someone that primarily engages in mental health work. Um, and I have a history and kind of what I currently do now is more focused on the outpatient part of things. Um, So there's a variety of things that LICSWs can do, but I am focused on kind of mental health and outpatient work um, at this current phase of my life. Sure. And is it a lot of individual or is it kids or is it groups? So it is a lot of individuals, but I also can do families. I have uh, done kids and still do some kids. Um, so it's really a wide range. I have a, some couples, but I really prefer more the family work or mm-hmm. the individual kid work mm-hmm. over specifically couples, mm-hmm. just by preference, no yeah. reason. Yeah. And then, of course, um, your consultant work with us at Emerge Mothers Academy means you have a caseload of moms and sometimes their kids, too. Absolutely. Or the, the entire group. Unit. Yes. Okay. Yep. So it's moms or sometimes it's grandparents who are in the caregiver role. Mm. Um, It also is the kids and um, just kind of depends on who needs the support with the with the circumstances that the individual is finding themselves in. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like more of your social work help is skill building or are we doing like major therapeutic intervention for mental health issues that you know, actually need treatment? What's the scope of kind of what you're doing each day? So it can be both. I would say mostly it's really about skill building. It's essentially helping people learn and understand that they don't have to be defined by their circumstances, but ultimately that they have power and control over their thinking, Mm -hmm. which then can affect kind of how they see the world and how they interact with the world, both um, how compassionate they can be towards themselves Mm. and then conversely towards others. Um, So ultimately kind of teaching them how, what's that, what's that voice inside of your head that is telling you, oh, this is too hard, you can't do it. Can we reframe that and say, wow, you have gone through a lot of difficult situations and 
and look at you, you're still standing, Mm -hmm. you know, how do we reframe the thinking in a way that essentially speaks truth and minimizes some of the lies or some of the negative thinking that Mm. can absolutely poison the waters and their ability to interact and interface with their kids or whatever responsibilities they have for that day. Right. And so do you feel like a lot of people who, you know, going about their day are listening to kind of negative self-talk, not very affirming to themselves, are really kind of stuck? Is it circumstantial? Were they born into a really hard family? Do they just not have like good mental muscle? Why are some people resilient and, and some people aren't? Yes. And there's a lot of research out there on resiliency. I think there's a lot that continues to be explored. Um, the ACEs study, which stands mm-hmm. for Adverse Child Exper- Childhood Experiences, that came out um, by Kaiser Permanente, that came out a few years back and has really taken wind because it's uh, not only within the confines of the social sciences, but it's also statistical in nature. So it Mm. provides people that are more scientific um, in their thinking to have some numbers to grasp onto and to better understand patterns and behaviors. Through that, kind of recognizing that the biggest point of resiliency for people who have had significant numbers or um, a lot of different adverse experiences specifically within their childhood is their support systems. If they have somebody who authentically and truly cares about them and invests in their life in a way that they feel like, okay, I have somebody that truly has my back, that is my biggest cheerleader and isn't just staying on the sidelines, but is kind of getting in and getting dirty with me, Mm. that ultimately they have the capacity to do a lot more for themselves and participate in their lives in a way that is really resilient. The other part of it um, that they are finding more and more as far as resiliency goals is looking at kids primarily within their brain development, the ones that are able to truly engage in imaginative play, to go to these places where they can, you know, do some pretend play and and imagine essentially that things or circumstances could look different than Mm -hmm. what maybe they're experiencing within the context of their reality. And so what that allows them to do is essentially place this idea of I can hope. I have the capacity to hope. I have the capacity to wonder. Mm -hmm. And if I can wonder, I can also dream and I could maybe dream for a reality that is better than what I'm experiencing within my day-to-day interactions with either people that are um, causing harm to me or really challenging circumstances or big adult worries that kids shouldn't necessarily have but do just because of the circumstances or the family that they have been Mm. born into. And then also looking at that further of uh, those kids grow into men and women. And those men and women if they already have that muscle kind of memory um, of I can dream and I can hope for myself, then if they find themselves in challenging circumstances as they're older, then they already have that working memory to be able to say, all right, I can hope and dream that my 
life and my circumstances don't have to be defined or don't have to be modeled after the experiences I've had as a young child. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I can stop this generational cycle and I can have hope and I can dream that I have a better, Mm -hmm. I can have a better tomorrow or I could have a better future or so on and so forth. Also with the understanding that within the context of that hoping and that dreaming and that imagining is that you have people that are supporting you. And that that is so key in people's ability for resiliency. Mm. And and that if you have that imagination, that it's being guided towards things that end up becoming innovative and not destructive. Absolutely. Yeah, so interesting. So really, there's like a very strong tie or correlation between imagination and resiliency. Absolutely. This this really resonates because so many of our to emerge podcast guests and the moms we have at Emerge Mothers Academy will talk about like, oh, the only reason I made it through it is because I I thought about this happening in five years, or I pushed myself through school because I wanted to graduate, or I got myself off of MFIP because I couldn't wait for the day to bring home a paycheck. Well, really, what you're doing mm-hmm. is you're making a movie in your head. Yes, you are. Your mind's eye is doing imagination absolutely okay so here's what's scary then i mean m if if we're putting phones and tablets into all kids's hands are they imagining anything anymore you know it is limiting their capacity to engage in their imagination because everything that you otherwise would have within the imaginative world now gets digitized. Right. And right? it's just playing in front of you. So you're, you're watching what you're watching. You're not using your imagination. And the other part of that is they've also done the research um, where essentially then people need things coming at them at a super fast pace. Mm. Well, your imagination cannot I mean, that idea of multitasking is not a reality. People Mm -hmm. are switching from tab to tab, essentially, and you're not really multitasking, except when there is kind of this digitized world going on, there's a lot of things coming at you. And so what happens is is your brain works in kind of this switch mode at all times Mm -hmm. because there's only 40 seconds of information coming to you at a time. And so you're doing this and then you're going over here and you're going over there and your ability to attend and focus on a particular task Mm -hmm. or on a venture or on a goal is a lot more limited in one's ability to do so. Right, right. Which maybe then sort of plays into the complaint of, you know, some of the newest hires in the job market have such a different work ethic than 50, 80 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I remember kind of my grandparents talking about playing jacks all day long or they had a stick mm-hmm. and a ball. Yeah. You know, and, and they think all the things that they came up with with mm-hmm. that game and, and became the hardest working workforce in America. Right. And now we have employers that complain about kids that constantly every 40 seconds need a refresh on their job. Right. It, it seems to kind of like. It's kind of the pace in which information has been provided. To them. At this point. Yes. Right. And not so much imagination. So maybe that's why they're also having a hard time bouncing back. If we, mm-hmm. if we think about resiliency as kind of bouncing back, they. They don't know how to imagine a different circumstance for themselves. Yeah. One thing I always tell parents, too, is a, a couple 
phrases or questions I think are so key in order to help foster that with our kids is say, hmm, I really wonder about that. Mm. And not just going, I wonder, let's Google it real quick. But really, I wonder about that. What do you think? And kind of engaging them in that topical conversation. Or the other thing I always say is to really say, I I would love, it's so important for you to be curious about that. Mm -hmm. So wonder and curiosity are two phrases that I think can just foster so much growth and imagination Mm -hmm. um, and just that they're really important. Right. And and sometimes wonder and curiosity and imagination, they take longer. Oh, sure. And in this like, you know, fast, rapid information, like right now at our house, we have caterpillars, right? And the kids want to know. Like, well, what's it going to look like? Let's Google it. Let's ask Siri, whatever. And it's like, what happened to, like, well, when I was a kid, I waited the seven days. You know, like, what happened to wondering for seven long days if the colors were what you thought they'd become? Right. You know, in my head, I'm like, this one's going to be a moth, but I'm not going to tell you that, (laughs) you know, because I want them to really wonder. Yep. And how will it get out? Well, how will it make the cocoon? And then we'll how, how will it get out of that cocoon? Right. I'm not going to show you a YouTube video that plays it in fast motion for 30 seconds. I'd uh-huh. rather you like painstakingly enjoy this long process. I think that's a beautiful example of it. <laughs> it's funny. It's yes. funny though because I mean, I'm not, I certainly am not perfect about keeping the phones away from them or anything like that. But sure. I'm starting to sort of be a little more aware of like, oh my goodness. If imagination has such a strong role in resiliency, mm-hmm. I, I really want kids that are resilient in this world. Right. You know, I don't want right. just, I, I hope that Emerge Mothers Academy can go away because no one will need it. Yep. But, yep. But for some reason, we still need it. Yeah. People have these circumstances that they don't know how to get out of. Right. And, and, you they have to have people in their lives that can do their dreaming their hoping their imagination that can say thank you for ent- allowing me to enter in your story mm. i know right now you're looking for a house and you're wondering if you're going to have child care and you're not really sure about your safety and mm. i don't think you're going to stay here i believe that your circumstances aren't going to define you and that you will be self sufficient and you'll be somebody that has professional development and your kids are going to be able to be kids and go to school Mm. and have stability and they can say well I just I know that may be possible but I just don't see how that could work okay well we don't always know the how and the how can be really painstakingly long but let's sit in this place of discomfort and I can hold you in this place and essentially teach you how to not just stay here, but engage in a participation process that then you're going to be refined and you're going to look back. And then you have that working memory to go back and to say, wow, I went through all that and I'm still standing. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. You know, if you look at um, some of the research too, we'll say things like, well, everybody always says that first love is the hardest to break up from. Well, let's talk about why that is, because you've never experienced the feeling of romantic love before. Mm. And then when you do, you're like, wow, these feelings are like amazing and I'm soaring. And then after two weeks or however long it is, you get dumped and you think, I am never going to recover from this. Mm. This is the worst feeling I've ever had. And then when you do, the second time it's not as hard because you have that working memory to go back and say, "Okay, I've felt This before, I've felt this euphoric love high, and then I felt what it felt like to be broken up with, 
and it was really hard and it was really crappy. But I remembered that I called my friend and that I, you know, whatever the circumstances or situations were within your coping mechanisms that you can say, I coped myself through this and I'm I'm okay. And, And actually I was able to look back on that relationship and say wow I'm really kind of glad it didn't work out Mm -hmm. but you don't have any of that working memory prior to that happening yeah yeah and so yes the first love is usually the hardest because you don't know how to navigate those really new emotions and situations well again and again speaking to this whole community and the people around you thing like in the same way that someone should probably encourage your imagination and well a you have to be given the opportunity to imagine Right. B, you have to have someone say that what you've imagined is worth listening to. Yeah. And like, ooh, that you're clever. Ooh, you're innovative. Or, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of parents that are like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay, Bobby. Mm-hmm. And they don't even care. Mm-hmm. So then the kid's like, oh, there's no point in this silly game of play. Right. In the same way, then, community around you at a breakup, if you don't think, oh, yeah, that's right, I called the friend. Who I trusted. Right. Instead, someone's just like, mm-hmm, your experience, like, w- whatever you're talking about doesn't really matter. Like, holy validation. Yeah. It either, it either destroys humans or it, it, like, builds us up. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if no one validates you, then why would you want to make circumstances better? Absolutely. Validation is so huge. So sometimes you're casting vision for a client and Mm -hmm. saying, I know you can't see it right now because you're, you're seeing a flood of trauma. Mm -hmm. Like crisis does that to us. We can't, we're in fight. But I'm, yeah, I'm going to cast vision for you. I see that you're brilliant. I see that you're sharp. I know Mm -hmm. that you've been dumped before. I know you can get through this. Yes, you will get through this. So what, what would a person do without community? I mean, without someone around them, I mean, those are the least resilient people then? They they definitely are the least resilient and they're the ones who can't get outside of themselves. And mm. what I mean by that is they can't get outside of those really basic levels mm-hmm. of functioning, those survival levels of functioning of the fight, flight, freeze. Fawn is another one. That's essentially the idea that I just abide with or go along with whatever's happening around me. Mm. Um, and Maybe that's why so many women end up in a relationship with someone domineering or oh, mistreating. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Fawn is the idea that... Um, you know, oftentimes if you'll see in a news, like there was this someone's, this young kid was kidnapped. And it, it, oftentimes people go, I just have no idea why they didn't run. They had so many opportunities to be released from that situation. And really, it's a survival mechanism mm-hmm. that we have inside of us that essentially says, I've kind of done some quick quick mathematical equations and quite honestly if I just simply do exactly what this perpetrator is asking me to do I think that's my best chance at survival so just abiding and staying within these circumstances even though this is not ideal for me I don't like this but it is my best chance at survival and so I'm Mm. just going to go along with it Mm. and it becomes a kind of a practice of normalcy then at the same time is sure. don't exert opinion, don't do some of these things, just kind of submit and right. lay down and abide by what this individual who has power and control over me is essentially asking me to do. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
So what is it that happened either in your life or in your studies where all of a sudden your brain was like, I love this stuff. This is what I'm going to do with my life. I, I want to do this. Yeah. So academics were never my thing. Math oh. and science. Um, Funny because probably it not. seems like research kind of. Like- I love research, but it's all about human behavior, yeah. right? Yeah. And the social sciences. But uh, math and science were always like, I just need to like pass this credit. <laughs> Um, so in the school world, I don't think I was ever saw myself as somebody that was intellectual Mm. or somebody that was maybe even potentially not going to amount to such. And, you know, I worked at a a camp for a summer for kids on the autism spectrum. And I just like kind of fell head over heels with the process of, you know, this, wow, kind of analyzing human behavior in some ways and also just being able to support and assist and to say, oh, wow, these parents get to have a break for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, they are engulfed in a world that is um, kind of never ending, super demanding. Um, they they endlessly love their kids and they, and they deserve a break, but they mm-hmm. can't just call up a babysitter or Um, what have you and so they got a break and so we saw just endless thankfulness from the families and then just working with the kids um, was really kind of endearing and life-giving as well for me so I got home from that camp experience and my mom had kind of said like well you should look into social work and I was Mm. like I don't even know what social work is like I had no idea what it was Mm. Um, and so that's I went back to camp that summer and actually um the day that I came home, it was my 17th birthday from camp, um, right after my mom had this conversation between sessions with me. Um, that day, she went off. It was my grandma and grandpa's 50th anniversary, so she was just super remorseful that we couldn't go out for my birthday. And I just said, Mom, it's no big deal. I'll just go out with friends. And that evening when I was out with some friends, I, I received a phone call from my father and it was, you know, the worst phone call possible, but essentially it was hurry up and come home. There's something bad that's happened. And it was, my mom had passed away from a heart disease and essentially she was alive one minute and she was dead the next. And so immediately in that moment, mm. I was suddenly a daughter and a sister to um, mm. a dad who was trying to make it alone. So it was a single parent situation and we had an amazing support system. We had an amazing support team. And I think that I can remember waking up that next morning and I had friends sleeping on the floor of my room and um, a friend of mine, dad was out mowing our lawn and somebody Mm. was cooking breakfast upstairs and just there was, everyone was doing something and there and that could have just been the grand act of being present in the room, yeah. you know, and, and that not only did it teach me kind of how I function mm. <laughs> within the context of those really challenging situations or scenarios, but then it also taught me the importance of having having your tribe, having your people around you that ultimately when there's uncomfortable, challenging, difficult situations, they're not going to pity you or have you know uh, run away from it because it's too uncomfortable but they're essentially going to press in and they're going to say we got you we got your back my dad's best friend who lived in Washington at the time flew out Mm -hmm. dropped everything flew from Washington to Minnesota and just was there for two weeks I have no idea Hmm. what his job was and why he could be there for two weeks but that didn't matter right um 
There's so many things, like there's so many go backs on what mm-hmm. you just talked about. Um, I might rapid fire on some of these. One, it was your 17th birthday. Yeah. So let's just kind of hold that for a second. Mm-hmm. Like you got called back on your 17th birthday that your mom mm-hmm. died. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about bouncing back, girl. Okay, <laughs> two, did you feel like coming back from that camp that social work almost became paying homage to the last thing your mom told you? Absolutely. Okay. There's absolute truth mm-hmm. in that, that that was her idea, and I there was no question at that point. My sister, uh, my older sister... My hair is standing up on my <laughs> arms and legs. My older sister knew from, uh, I think, the point of her conception that she was going to be a teacher. Sure. (laughs) And I was always kind of that uh, wanderer of sorts. And I was like, Mm. I just don't know what I'm good at. I know what I'm really bad at, um, but I don't know what I'm good at. Mm. And so I think oftentimes it was like that there was an homage to that and of Mm. like somebody saw something in me. And fostered something in me. And okay, this isn't going to go, it's not going to be said in vain. It's I'm going to, I'm going to put this to work. I'm going to explore wow. what this could mean for me. Wow. And it has been fruitful. Yeah, Yes. Like yeah. clearly has become a passion of yours, you know, Absolutely. far beyond you thinking that you, you were doing it to honor your mom, just right. even just to honor your own gifts. Right. You know, and the way that you. And that she saw it in me too. Yeah. Right. Like. Moms are important. Let's just be honest. They're really important and can speak into our lives in a way that, you know, we can't always see outside of ourselves. I mean, I just can't even believe that that's like the last conversation. And then and then there you are in crisis mode with your own family, becoming a father headed family. Yep. And you're 17. So all of a sudden you almost become another mother to the whole household yeah to some degree there was some of that my sister was off at college I had a younger brother who was 15 who precious David I think I taught him how to turn an oven to to do a pizza and then my younger brother um Tejas was uh adopted just a year prior Mm -hmm. um and still learning the English language um but was uh nine at that time sure so, so and had already bonded to her too. Yep. All right. So here you are, all are bonded to like the nucleus of your family. Mm-hmm. And well, gosh, and I think about then his trauma being yeah. adopted, oh, yeah. and then yep. attachment to absolutely. He didn't know him. My mom did take a full three month maternity leave when he came. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was three months of him and her at home bonding and really getting to know one another in a way that was, you know, precious. And then. To have that, you know, ripped from him and not necessarily even have the verbalizations or the words to articulate exactly what he was feeling and experiencing and understanding that that was obviously a really big struggle and a Mm. challenge to be able to navigate that world. Did you take a role of like being the family emotion navigator? I think so. I think I obviously we all had roles within our family and they all drastically shifted. And what I learned about myself is uh, some of us kind of had an immediate letdown, right? An immediate kind of emotional expression that happened and I became um, very stoic and um, I was much more of like, okay, 
what has to get done and much more task oriented, um, more of a, a rational mind state. And so I think what happened was, is I ended up taking on a lot of the tasks or some of the household things because I was somebody who had more of a delayed emotional response. Sure. A couple of years later, it looked really different. Interesting. <laughs> and I kind of let down, um, I'd say about two years later is when I started having more of an emo- emotional response to the experience. Right. And there had been a lot of shifts and there was, my dad didn't get remarried um, around that time. And so there wasn't a need for me to fill that gap anymore that somebody else stepped in and kind of took on some of those tasks um and I wasn't needed there and so the minute I was essentially replaced from a task standpoint I kind of let down and it interesting do you feel like some people do grieve though in doing they execute on tasks and that's just the best way that's what you have control over right Right. I don't have control over the fact that my mom was alive or dead sure but I had control over the fact that you know I could make sure that we had food to eat and that everybody you know I I had a license so sometimes I was driving my brother places or uh, my youngest brother Tejas he ended up spending a lot of time and kind of be taken in by one of the neighbors families mm-hmm. so okay we got to get him from there get him back home or mm-hmm. so on and so forth and just navigating logistics the new system right yeah right and and I think for some people part of their grief is doing that absolutely you know and, and some people aren't overly emotional so they're not going to cry for the first year they're just right. going to cry at the first Christmas and then yep. and then realize Okay, back to taking care of business. Absolutely. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. So I feel like there's so much that we could unpack, but luckily we'll have you on as a guest many times since you're <laughs> you like go. you're like our in-house. Yeah, I'm at your disposal. You're our in-house expert. <laughs> um but I'm just thinking about like coming driving home from your own birthday party to that kind of news. I mean, did you feel like that was the rock bottom of your life or is there a dark dark season no I think that was probably rock bottom um I think there's been hard moments but again I could always look back and be like this is really hard but it wasn't as hard as getting the news of losing my mom like there hasn't been anything up until this point that has compared from challenging situations or circumstances and the shock that it was you know it's not like it was a long process it was a live when she was dead and there wasn't any um ability to have kind of closure to any of it right and and then are you like why was it on my birthday and why was it after the last thing she told me was you know it's all these things there's a lot of unknowns so like as you process all of that I mean like and you have like a movie playing in your head of that day like what what was there for you was it just like your own grit you were just like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna make it through this I mean like what was left for you I think people yeah. Uh, absolutely, which I kind of touched on is friends came out of the woodwork, friends dropped everything, um, people came from out of state, mm-hmm. um, people, uh, my cousin was at football practice out of state for mm-hmm. college and he left that, he was mm-hmm. a freshman, he left that and mm-hmm. came and, you know, there was just a lot of people just showed up in the midst of the heartache and the heartbreak and they said, there's a lot of things going on in my life, but this matters more mm-hmm. right now. Right. And so you start so, to make a worldview based absolutely. on that, which I think is for, for anyone in a crisis situation. Huge. They start to develop a view based on what the community is doing. 
and staying around them. Right. Like you're a single mom because you did this to yourself. It's like, wait, whoa, whoa. Nobody would try to do this to themselves. Right. So it's all in in what the voices around you and and, Mm -hmm. and showing you Mm -hmm. their presence, their belief. Absolutely. Their patience in grief. Yep. Their excitement in casting vision over your life. Right. I mean, it's kind of all. It's interesting how your life all sort of came together. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating. It is. And now just. Oh, humans are so fascinating. And your and your love for women and their children having yeah. been a child who lost their own mom. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just such a deep and honorable story. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, it's just neat to have you here. And we're excited to hear more from you, you know, as, as you research more and learn more about people. I know you've been a practitioner for over a decade. Yep. Um. And so we have so much that we can glean from you and so much we can learn about resilience and how to play well with our children and just for ways that we can all rise up. Absolutely. Yeah. So to your story as you emerge and to mine, um, thank you for being here on the To Emerge podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Emily. Thanks. The To Emerge podcast is brought to you by Emerge Mothers Academy. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a positive review. A special thanks to our media manager, Laurel Goulson, and to Jessica Manning for our music.